Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Here we are. We are in the last few verses of this entire series, Upper Room. And we are in probably some of the most incredible, visionary, hard to grasp, hard to imagine realities and statements that Jesus makes in this entire series. And perhaps some of the most radical things that Jesus says in all the gospels. So it's really exciting. But before we get there, I just want to get you into the frame of mind that you need to be in. Because we are going with Jesus into his prayer life. Now imagine for a moment if you had a chance to pray with Jesus, okay? So imagine if here at Northwest Calvary, we were inviting everybody to sign up for a meeting to pray with Jesus. Would you want to have that meeting? Would you sign up for that opportunity? And what would excite you about that opportunity? And what would make you nervous? Maybe for some of us, we'd be excited because to have Jesus pray for us would bring into clarity our identity and, our vi- and a vision for our life. But maybe also it would be frightening would be that Jesus knows us and he would pray things over our life that would maybe not be what we want for ourselves. Maybe what Jesus wants to pray over our, our life is not what we're praying for. And so that's what we're about to do right now because to hear Jesus pray for us is to hear his will for us. And right now we're going to go into this prayer where Jesus is not praying for his disciples at that moment, but he's looking into the future to you and to me, and he's praying for us. And if you were to sit with Jesus right now in this room, there is nothing in his prayer that would deviate from what he is praying in this passage right now. And so this is sacred ground. This is radical ground This is life-changing ground for us. So here we go. I want to read this passage to you. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and, and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What did Jesus just say? Are you overwhelmed? I mean, I don't know if you are, but I am. I've read this a hundred times this week and it never stops overwhelming me with the breadth and the depth of its vision 
and longing for our life. Here is a vision for human life that is bigger than anything that your boss or your professor or even I as your pastor could ever give to you. This is a vision larger than anything your bank account could give to you or any person in your life could ever impart to you. Yet this is what you and I were made for. This is what human beings were made for. And so I want to unpack it for us. Let's start in verse 21, all right? Just to get a sense of what Jesus is talking about. Beginning in verse 21, Jesus says this, that all of them may be one. Now, right there, pause. Here, what is Jesus praying for? He's praying that we would be one with God's people, one with other believers, one with the community of God. Okay, then he goes on. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may may they also be in us. So what's he praying for here? He's praying for us to be one with God's presence. And then he goes on. He says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now right here, this is the third thing that Jesus is praying for. And he's praying that we would be one with God's purposes. Here they are. One with God's people, with God's presence, and with his purposes. These are the three areas of our life that Jesus is praying for. And he's praying for these areas of our life to be aligned, to be made one, and to have a wholeness and integrity in our life, where we might tend to separate these areas of our life, where our love for God has nothing to do with our love for people, or our love for people has nothing to do with our mission and purpose in life to help the world to believe in God. Jesus is saying all these things need to come together and be aligned. And so that's what Jesus is praying for. Jesus's prayer is for oneness or unity. It's about being united with his life. And that's what Jesus is going to unpack for us. That's in his last hours of life, before he's crucified, in his last words with his disciples, before he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is what Jesus prays for, for us to be united in one with his life. And this is what Jesus calls eternal life. All right. I don't know if you remember, but back in at the beginning of chapter 17, Mark was talking about this last week. Jesus prays for us in eternal life. Listen to this. In verse 2, Jesus prays to his father saying, you have already given me authority over all people so that I may give the gift of eternal life to all those that you have given to me. Now, this concept of eternal life isn't only about being forgiven for our sins or going to heaven when we die. It is that, but it's also so much more than that, all right? It's about entering into Jesus's quality of life in all of its depth, in its breadth, a life that is overflowing, a life that we're meant to begin experiencing now, today. That's why Jesus in John 10 prays this, or says this, listen to this, John 10, 10. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect life in all its fullness until you overflow. Is this what you think of when you think of following Jesus? When you talk about Jesus to people in your life, is this how you describe Jesus? 
as this person who came to give us overflowing, abundant life, life so rich, so full, that we just can't even take it. But that's what Jesus clearly states was his purpose in coming to us. And here in his prayer in John 17, he's praying for us to be one with his life, to be united with him. The more every area of our life is aligned with Jesus's life, we experience a unity, a wholeness, and an integrity of life that results in the best possible version of our life right now. Think about that for a second. When you think about your best possible life, what do you imagine, right? What does the best version of your life involve? What would have to be in your life for it to be the best possible life? Think for a second. Think about the, in the area of relationships. Maybe you think about the area of your career, or maybe you think about your area of sports, your hobbies. Maybe for you it's traveling or having certain people in your life or having certain experiences. What comes to mind for you when you think about your best possible life now? Because that's what Jesus is, a, is praying for and he is passionate about it and he's willing to die for it. But often our idea of what our best possible life and what God's idea for our life is are two different things. And this gets down to the fundamental choice of faith. Are we going to trust God with his vision for our life? And from the beginning to the end of our life on this planet, we are constantly being tested about whether or not we trust God in his vision for our life. Is his will for your life the absolute best outcome for your life? When I say the best outcome, right? Jesus is not talking about just eating a bunch of grody raw vegetables. Maybe you love vegetables. I love vegetables. But for most people, what's Maybe you, when you think of good food, you think of Jojo's ice cream or a nice filet mignon, okay? So when you think of God's best possible outcome, do you think of overflowing joy or peace? An unshakable sense of purpose in life, deep relationships, a life of blessedness and happiness because that's what God's thinking about. And that's what God has created us for. The key issue is, will we trust him? And that's why Jesus is praying for us. Where our life is not aligned with his, we experience the opposite of this kind of unity. We experience division, confusion, and disintegration within ourselves, with the people in our life, and with the things that we're doing with our life. And so here's the message. Okay? Here's what we're going to drill into. There are three areas that Jesus prays for when he prays for unity and alignment. He prays for us to be one with God's presence, his people, and his purpose. And I want to unpack each one and help you reflect on where your life is right now. Where is your life in alignment with God and where is it out of alignment? And where is God calling you to come back to him and to renew your trust in him and to be one with him again? Let's start with presence, all right? Let's start with being one with God's presence. And I want to go back to John 15 because Jesus has some powerful words about the presence of God in our life. In John 15, five, Jesus says, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, get this, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
There's a productive life and there's a fruitful life. There's a life that is focused on achievement and just doing what we think is best. And that's a really tempting life. Did I get everything checked off my to-do list today? But that might be different than what God has for your life. God has created you to be fruitful. But being fruitful is not about doing everything that we think we need to do. It's about doing what God is asking us to do. Often what we think we need to do makes us more stressed, frustrated, and let's be honest, just depressed on ourselves, right? Because a part of us knows we're never fully living up to our expectations. But when we're in God's presence, we live a fruitful life. I want to talk about being one with God's presence. Remaining with Jesus begins with spending time with Jesus in prayer with his word. Now, Abiding in Jesus or remaining with him is more than this, but it can never be less than a life dedicated to prayer with God's word in our hands. Listen to this. A 2011 study found, this is not a Christian study, it was a secular study researching the effect of prayer and meditation on the mental, emotional health of people. And it found this, that prayer can help reduce anger and aggression in a series of experiments in which participants either prayed for or thought about a stranger, a person who angered them or a friend in need, members of the prayer group were more likely to feel less anger and aggression after provocation. Surprise, surprise. Nothing new if you're reading the New Testament. But maybe for a lot of us, it feels counterintuitive that, the way that our commitment to prayer really has a direct effect on the quality of our everyday life. Because as we pray, we anchor ourselves in the presence of God. It's like putting a plant in the sunlight. When you pray, you're placing your soul in the light of God's presence and you will grow. Prayer is the opposite of entering into a fight or flight reaction in our life. That's what causes anxiety and stress in our life to be controlled by fear. Prayer is not a reactive thing. It's a responsive thing. Reaction is fight or flight. That's where we're just saying the first thing that comes to our mind. That's where we're constantly staying busy because we don't want to deal with what's in here. That's fight or flight. That's avoiding people because they've offended us or hurt us. That's fight or flight. That's finding a new church because the pastor talked about something that we couldn't say it was heretical, but maybe offended some of our political sensibilities. That's fight or flight. Prayer goes in the opposite direction as those kinds of reactions. Prayer anchors us in God's presence rather than allowing our life to be controlled by circumstances, emotions, and other people. That's amazing. People who pray regularly, regularly statistically, Studies have shown are less driven by fear, anxiety, and depression. Now, I'm not saying that if you pray, you won't have fear, anxiety, and depression, but your life is less driven by those dynamics. John 14, 27, Jesus said this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Now, I want to just invite you to do something practical. I want to challenge you to commit to 
at least once a day having a 10 minute time of prayer. And if you don't know where to start, open up and start with Psalm number one. And every day, open up a different, open up the next chapter in the Psalms, going um, through all the Psalms, chapter one, two, three, four. If you don't know where to start, open up the Psalms, read it, and then pray however you feel inspired based on what you read. Once you've gotten 10 minutes once a day locked into your calendar for a few weeks, I want to challenge you to move it to two times a day, once in the morning and then once in the late afternoon or the evening. If you do this, you will experience a marked difference in your response to fear, anxiety, and depression. Okay, number two, Jesus prays for us to be one with his people. Now, I want you to just um, think about this for a minute. It says here in John 13, 34, Jesus said this, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. So you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. There's three things here. Number one, that we are created to experience Jesus's love for us. And that relationship with Jesus only can mature to the degree to which we're willing to be in a committed love relationship with other believers. In other words, you can't have Jesus without the church. That's super important, right? You've got to just really let that sink in. Now just pause for a minute and reflect on your relationship with the community of God's people in your life. What does that look like for you? Where are you involved in a small group? Who are the believers in your life who you can confide in and pray with, who encourage you and who know even your darkest sins? Are there people in your life who know you who are following Jesus. And it's not just about having a couple friends. It's more than that. Listen, think about Jesus's community right now in this moment in John chapter 17. Let me remind you, Jesus's community. What's going on for his community? Well, let's see. You got Judas who's on his way to betray him. You've got Peter who's going to deny him. And we're just on the cusp of every one of Jesus's closest friends absolutely deserting him. How good and how perfect was Jesus's community? Was Jesus's community perfect? Was it free of problems and hypocrisy and scandal? Was Jesus's community made up of people that they would have chosen for each other, right? Would Simon the activist and zealot have chosen Matthew the tax collector to be one of his friends? Would any of the disciples have chosen Mary Magdalene who had seven demons cast out of her to be a part of their posse? Here's the point. When Jesus prays for us to be one with the people of God, that means we're coming together with people that we wouldn't have chosen ourselves, People who don't have our style, people who don't all have the same political views as us, people who come from different cultural backgrounds, different hobbies, different interests, different opinions. It also means being one with people who aren't perfect. It means being one with imperfect people. Where we really come face to face with this is in the community of our marriages and our families. And what happens is that we get so focused on the imperfection in our spouse, our roommates, our pastor, the people sitting next to us at church, who don't quite have their mask on right or aren't quite being quiet enough or don't think the way we think. And so what do we do? We go find another church. 
We go find another spouse. We go find another group of friends. We go find another community. And here's the problem. I want to just walk you through this very carefully. When our commitment to church is about finding the perfect people or where we feel most comfortable, get this, we are easily trapped into consuming community, being consumers of community, rather than people who are committed to community. Jesus has called us to be committed to one another in love, the way that he's committed to us in love, through our sin, through our good, our bad, and our ugly. When our commitment to our church can't go past our differences or our comfort or our immediate needs, when what we want from our church is the first and most important thing we look for, we're more easily trapped into a consumer mindset. Now, it doesn't mean that where you go to community or who you're friends with, that it shouldn't also fill some of your needs. It should. I'm not saying that doesn't matter. It's just like where we get it backwards and that's the main thing we're concerned with. And it's not first and foremost about what we bring to the community and to the friendships. Now that's the shift that Jesus wants us to have. To be one with the, with the people of God, we need to be focused on loving the other person. And that means being focused on what we can bring in service to the community. And that's what protects us from becoming consumers rather than people who are committed. Lastly, the last thing that Jesus prays for oneness with is with his purpose, the purpose of God. Jesus prays that we would be one with his purpose in the world. Now, everyone has a purpose, right? Every human being has some kind of purpose that they live for. In fact, we either have one that's explicit and that we know, or it's operating hidden and unknown to us. But the truth is, as a human being, what separates us from animals is that we have the question, why? Animals don't ask why. Animals just do, okay? But as human beings, we're always like, why? Why? And you encounter this with kids, right? Any parent who's had young kids has to experience and, and submit to the tyranny of the why. Why, mom? Why, dad? Why, why, why? It's more than just sort of like an annoying little kid thing. It's a fundamental expression of our humanity to understand the meaning and the purpose behind our life. God put that in you and in me. And we are going to find something to find purpose in. If it is not in what God's purpose is for our life, it will be in something else. And if it's in something else, anything else, it's in something less than what God's made us for. The purpose of God is to bring the world back to him. But when we make our purpose being the best player on our sports team, when we make our purpose having the best, safest, coolest family, when we make our purpose climbing to the top of the ladder in our career, when we make our purpose having the ultimate six-pack and the best body that we can possibly have, or having the most amazing adventure in this life that we can have, when that is our purpose, as exciting and as good as those things are, even gifts from God, they leave us bankrupt and empty and shallow as human beings. They leave us restless. And as Augustine said, they leave us restless until we find our rest in God. And what Jesus is saying here, our rest in his purpose.
So maybe like you're at this point in your life where you're like, okay, I'm praying with God. You know, I'm going to church, but are you one with his purpose? Have you surrendered yourself to his love for people that are, that are far from God? That's not just some accessory you add to your life. That's not just something you do once in a while when someone kind of traps you and goes, oh, you go to church? Oh, what's this whole Jesus thing about? It's meant to be our lifestyle and what compels and orders everything else we do. Look at this. What Jesus says is that he prays, number one, that we would be one with one another. Why? So that the world will believe. And then Jesus then goes on and he prays that the world would see that he and the father are one. Why? So that the world would believe that he was sent from God. Everything is moving in that direction. We are loved by God. We are planted in a community, but we are planted in a community with a purpose. Now listen to this. In the very beginning of this prayer, Jesus prays this prayer. He prays, listen to this. He prays, I am praying not only for these disciples, verse 20, but also for all who ever believe in me through their message. Here's the crazy thing about Jesus. He's about to die. He knows Judas is on his way to betray him. He knows Peter's going to deny him. And yet Jesus is looking through all of that into the future. And despite all of this, he's seen you and me and this world coming to faith in him through their message. Whose message? The message of the ones who are about to betray, deny, and abandon him. Does that just not blow your mind? Do you ever have a hard time talking about Jesus to other people because you feel like you're not qualified, you don't know enough, you're not good enough, you don't have enough time? Look at who Jesus is willing to use right here. Jesus has entrusted you and me with a message. What is your message? It's through your message, the message that God has given to you, that others are going to come to believe in Jesus. Yeah, through your prayer life. Yes, through your lifestyle and through your good life, but also through your message. Your message has to be embodied. It's prayed, but it has to be shared. It has to cross the threshold of our mouth and be expressed in our words. People who live with a message live with a mission. People with a mission live with a purpose, a purpose that is worthy of a son and daughter of God. Anything less than this is going to leave you restless. And maybe in your life, you're feeling that restlessness right now. And maybe it's not because you're not far enough in your career or you're not getting enough playing time on your team. Maybe your restlessness is because You've been holding back and being a part of his purpose on that team in your workplace to help the people in that place to know Jesus. Where are you aligned with God? To celebrate and thank God, rejoice, and maybe just share with somebody this week where you are aligned with God. Man, I'm spending time with God in prayer 
Or I'm, you know what? I'm committing myself to, I've been committed to church and I'm in community. That's a good thing. But where in your life are you not aligned with God? Let the spirit search your heart and bring you into oneness with him this week. Let me pray for us. Lord, we want to be one with you. And being one with you means being one with your presence, your people, and your purpose. And they are all inextricably tied to each other. We can't have one without the other. And our life of maturing in you is allowing our life to be integrated in all of these three areas. And so Lord, speak to us this week and lead us into your life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.